Last week we started this series called As It Is in Heaven. And if I'd realized the t- screens were behind me, by the way, I would have uh, done graphics for that, but I didn't, so here we are. Um, but the title comes from a story in the Bible where Jesus is teaching his followers to pray. And he begins his prayer by saying, hey, you guys, when you pray, here's what you say, here's what you do. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse nine and t- verses 9 and 10, it says, uh, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's not about making sure we pray those exact words every time we pray, but basically Jesus is showing us that we need to have a desire for our lives on earth to look something like heaven. Um, And so up until Easter, we're going to ask this question, what does it look like for our lives to look more like heaven? How do we get here to look more like there? And what does that look like practically in our everyday lives? And so today, I just want to wrestle with a fundamental spiritual question. This is a question that just about every single human being asks. If you have any faith in uh, of any kind at all, you've probably asked this question. Um, if you um, have, or maybe don't have faith, but aren't sure even if there's a God or not, you've asked this question. And here's the question. What must I do to get on God's good side? What must I do to get on God's good side? Uh, What do I have to do to make it for my past? What do I have to do to make it for my mistakes? What do I have to do to make sure that I go to heaven when I die? Uh, What do I have to do to to, to make God happy with me, to please God? There's all different variations, all different ways to say the same thing. What do I got to do to get on God's good side? That is the fundamental spiritual question that just about every human being has asked. And, And people ask it all over the world. And, you know, it used to, if you wanted to explore other religious viewpoints, you had to actually, you know, travel around the world and meet people and and now you don't have to do that anymore. You can just get on Google and ask, hey, what do I got to do to please God? And Google will basically give you all kinds of answers. But what you'll notice is pretty much throughout history, the way humanity has chosen to answer the question, what do I got to do to please God, is religion. That's the answer that, that humans have most often landed on, religion. Religion is humanity's answer to how to get on God's good side. And humans have come up with a ton of different systems and pathways to explain in intricate detail exactly how to make yourself right with God. And that main tool that every religious system uses to answer that question and to make sure that we stay on God's good side is rules. Religion is all about rules. Uh, Rules about what we can do, rules about what we can't do, rules about what we have to do, rules about what we're forbidden to do, all kinds of rules. And if you want to keep God happy, if you want to go to heaven when you die, then religion always says you got to keep the rules or else you're in trouble. The problem is that religion and following the rules are a lousy way to please God or a lousy way for us to stay and get on God's good side because rules while important, they're very important. We have to have rules and guidelines. The Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament are filled with commands for our good, but the rules are not God's main concern. Let me explain it this way. Um, Are we still good, Abby, on the audio? We still good? Still good? Okay, just checking while I'm, so I don't get lost and talk for 10 minutes and no one can hear me. Um, Let me explain it this way about how come the rules are not the best part about this. Um, Many of you 
growing up, in fact, probably all of you growing up, had a sport that you loved to play. Feel free to comment, actually, in the Facebook section uh, of what that sport was. And I don't just necessarily mean a sport where you, you signed up to play and you got a uniform and you, know, a br- uh, you were sponsored by a local business or anything like that. I mean, it could just be a sport you like to play at recess or you couldn't wait for that bell to ring so you could get to PE and play this game. Um, so whatever game it was or whatever sport it was, you had a sport that you loved to play. But um, some of you were, you know, Kickball people, yeah. You just wanted to take that orange rubber ball and just launch it into space. Some of you wanted to play basketball with your friends. Uh, Some of you, it was baseball. Some of you, it was football. Some of you, it was just a good game of tag. You remember when you were young and you wanted to play tag and you could just run forever and had endless energy and and it was just fun to run and play with your friends, right? Um, Maybe some of you, I didn't have one of these at my school, um, but some people were into tetherball. I didn't know what that was until I was an adult, because we just didn't have one on my playground at my school growing up. But most of us had this thing, this activity that we loved to play, this game that we loved to play. And it was about friends, and it was about fun, and it was about burning energy and, and just having a blast, right? And we, n- you never, though, you never have anybody fall in love with a game because of the rules, right? In fact, many of us, that game that we loved, we started playing it before we even knew all the rules, Kickball, okay, kick the ball, you got it, you know? And then we ran the bases backwards because we didn't know the rules. Uh, so we, none of us fell in love with that game because of the rules. Um, you know, if you were to ask a kid why he plays, you know, JFL in New Berlin, um, he's not going to say, you know, well, one day I was reading the NFL playbook and I came across Rule 12, Section 3, Article 1 on the rules for unsportsmanlike conduct, and I just loved the way that it um, wanted to keep the game civil and safe, and I just, I thought, man, football is the sport for me. Like, no kid has ever read the rules and then fell in love with the sport and then began to play it. No, it was always, let's play this, this is fun, and then we learned the rules after the fact. Um, no kid went out for basketball because he loved the shot clock, or he read about goaltending and thought, what, what good rules, I should play basketball. That's not how this works. Rules are important, but they are not the point of the game. No one falls in love with the game because of the rules. And religion is what you get when you make faith all about the rules. Religion is what happens when we answer the question saying, in order to get on God's good side, you've got to make sure you're playing by all the rules. And so in Christianity, in our little corner of the world, the way we answer that question, the rules we make up when we turn this into a religion is we say, okay, well, you need to pray certain prayers especially if you're from a more liturgical background. You were taught to pray certain prayers um, at certain times of the day before meals and whatnot. And so you had to pray before meals. And many of us now, we have to pray before meals, and, and it's just less structured because we come from a different, less liturgical background. But that's one of the rules. Um, sometimes the rules, you've got to pr- read your Bible for 15 minutes before the day starts. You've got to pray. That's how you please God. Or you have to come to church every week or you know, every other week or once a month, you know, at least once a month or every other month or maybe you watch online, but either way, you got to make some connection with being, being there. Um, I remember in high school and college, when you're that age and you go to like a camp or any sort of special little conference or getaway for a weekend that's church-related, you will inevitably hear, or at least I did in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, a hellfire and brimstone speech on how unhappy God would be with you if you did not follow his rules about sexuality. And 
You know, there's just so many of these rules that we are, we just hammer this drum over and over again. Follow the rules, follow the rules, follow the rules, because if you don't, God's going to get really mad. Um, Rules like you can't cuss in church. I love this one. I don't know who made this rule up, but you can't cuss in church. I very rarely, maybe one time in the whole time I've been at Loami, have I heard somebody cuss in church. But outside of church, yeah, do whatever you want, but you can't cuss in church. If you cuss in church, then God will be unhappy. Um, One that frustrates me and I don't usually call people out on it, but I'll, I'll tell you it from here. It frustrates me when I hear the don't run in church rule um, because we have now, we're now in the second generation of kids that are flocking away from church um, because they don't see any point. And we've taught them that it's about rules, and they've, they, that's just, you know, again, you don't fall in love with the sport, the game, because of the rules. And uh, God gave little kids legs and boundless energy, so I don't, I don't think he meant for us to keep them from running all the time. Um, but even though religion and rules are not a good way to get on God's good side or to please God or however you want to say it, there's some really easy reasons why we do it, logical reasons why we do it. Number one, it makes us feel safe, right? Because the reason we ask why or how do I get on God's good side, the reason people ask that question is out of fear. We fear divine punishment. We fear death and what's going to happen on the other side of death. And so we want to know, how do I get on God's good side so that I don't have to fear death, so that I can look forward to an afterlife that's good and not bad? And so if I can just know where the out-of-bounds lines are, if you can just draw, draw the, the court or draw the field for me and just let me know where I can't go, then good. I'll just stay in here. And I'll, I'll stay inside the bounds. I'll follow all the rules, and then I can feel safe knowing that I did everything I could to please God and keep God happy. I don't have to fear hell anymore. I don't have to fear anything anymore. I can keep because I, I know I'm following the rules and keeping God happy. There's a, a sense of safety that comes when we come up with this system of rules that we think is going to keep us right with God. Another reason that we do this is because in a lot of ways it's just easier. You might think, how is a bunch of rules and keeping all these rules easier? Well, for a lot of people, you can learn the rules and be pretty decent at keeping the rules, and, and then you never really have to engage emotionally or intellectually with your faith. You don't have to really engage your brain power. You don't have to really engage your heart and what it might mean to be transformed or, or actually um, shaped, reshaped into the likeness of your creator or to do some introspection on the, the more evil parts that live inside your soul and how to eradicate those. You don't have to engage on that level because all you got to do is learn the rules and check the boxes. So it's easier than doing the hard work of, of personal transformation in a lot of ways. This is why a guy named Richard Rohr says, religion is one of the safest places to hide from God. Let me say that one more time. Religion is one of the safest places to hide from God, from God because you can do all the things that you think God wants you to do. You can serve people, you can help people, you can give people, you can look like a really good follower of God to everybody else, all while never really having an encounter with God yourself, all while never having a meaningful relationship with your creator. Because again, you don't need God for anything. You followed the rules, you got it covered. You did it all yourself. You don't need any sort of meaningful relationship with God. You just need the list of what to do and what not to do. Now, not only can the rules cause you to completely miss God, one thing they can do when you make it all about the rules is you can kind of start to get a very distorted view of God. Because whereas some people feel protected and safe under the the ability to follow the rules, or the calling to follow the rules, there's a whole lot of people out there who feel nothing but shape 
or shame, excuse me. They feel nothing but shame by the rules. They feel no, nothing but, but, but a crushing weight from all the rules and regulations. Because when we make it all about the rules, for a lot of people, here's what happens to God. We turn him in to a referee. He's just a referee who's watching us and waiting for us to fail so that he can throw a flag and say, you're out. You didn't do it right. Flag on the play. And I have known so many people who felt just crushed under the guilt and the shame of trying to follow God's rules and being really bad at it. Uh, to be honest with you, that was the defining characteristic of my faith for a lot of years. I just felt terrible. I, I knew all the rules. And, the, and, and, you know, the farther I got into faith and the more I learned about, you know, how God wants me to live, the more I realized I'm bad at following the rules. I'm really bad at living the way God wants me to, to live. I'm selfish and I, I have evil thoughts and evil motivations a lot of the times. And I just felt crushed and undeserving of all this stuff. I recently um, was listening to a podcast of a guy who was giving his story of, of walking away from faith. And it was heartbreaking because he just told about how from his earliest ages of being a kid growing up in church, all he felt was guilt and shame and a failure to please God. And so for a, for a lot of people, they feel safe under the rules. But for a lot of us, the rules just make us think God's looking down, shaking his finger at us. That God's just looking at us, throwing a flag on every move that we make. We feel like we stink at following the rules, and, and the more we try, the more we realize how bad we are at it. And we end up guilty and scared and begging God, please, one, God, one more chance. I know I messed up. Please forgive me. Please don't let me go to hell for that one thing. I know I've done it a million times, and I've asked your forgiveness a million times, but please, please give me one more chance. And so when it's all about the rules, you're either going to end up safe a false sense of having a false sense of safety, or you're going to just feel crushed and you're going to get exhausted under the weight of the rules. Now, this entire series, we're just talking about the reality of heaven and having our lives on earth reflect that reality. And, and as, we, as, I, as I flip through the pages of, of Scripture and as I've tried to um, understand it and study it and I've seen the passages that kind of give us little peeks into heaven, um, what I've learned is there is no religion in heaven, um, at least not the thing that we call, that we, at least not the religion that we make the system of following the rules. Um, you know, you look through any glimpse of heaven in scripture and you do not, you do not find religion. None of the angels are arguing over whether you have to be baptized to be saved or if you can just pray a prayer. There's none of that theological sparring going on. Um, there's no mention of the proper way to dress to go to church in heaven. That's just not there. There's no mention of how much time you have to spend in Bible study to make God happy. None of those things. There's not a trace of that. Those rules of interacting with God are based solely on something that we have conjured up, we have invented. And, and, and let me just say, though, the, again, rules aren't bad. Rules aren't evil, special, especially religious rules. Like I said, the Bible is full of these things, and they have their place. Um, like, for instance, do I think we should read the Bible? Absolutely. It's hard and it's difficult, but the work we do to understand it, it gets easier over time. And there's so much stuff in there. There's so much life-giving wisdom and hope that makes our lives better and can actually save our lives, transform our hearts if we would read it and understand it. So yeah, I think you should read the Bible. Do I think you should pray? Absolutely. We should all pray more often. We should probably pray bigger, more bold prayers than what we do. So yeah, you should pray more often. Do I think you should come to church? Yeah, when we're not all quarantined, sure, you should come to church. I like seeing you. 
Um, this is good too, but I like seeing your face. I like seeing people come and experience God and their church family firsthand. These things are all good. They're all absolutely good things, but, but they, are, they are not the things that please God or make us good enough for God. And so we can do all the things that we think are, that sound spiritual. We can check off all the boxes and follow all the rules that we think will make us right with God. And, and unfortunately, we try it, and too often, those of us who have been here a long time and been doing church a long time, we try it, and we can slip back into that, that pattern, um, but that's not what works. Religion, following the rules, is not the way to please God. Um, probably the, the big, best illustration of this, uh, in the New Testament, there is a group of Jewish people, a group of, of Hebrews called the Pharisees. Uh, they were a sect, or maybe we'd call them a denomination within Judaism, and they were a, a group that had one goal, and oddly, their goal was the same as the goal for this series. They wanted to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. That was their goal, but their answer for how to accomplish that was rules. They wanted to make sure that everyone, every Israelite, was under strict observance of the law of Moses, the Old Testament laws, and they wanted, they wanted to make sure they and everyone else were following those laws to the letter. They believed that if all of God's people could be holy and obedient, that God would bless them, that if they could follow the rules, then they would get on God's good side. Now, one of the major players in the New Testament is a guy named Paul, and Paul was a Pharisee. He was a over-the-top, all-in, perfect rule-keeping Pharisee. And he was so much into being a Pharisee and, and making sure all the Israelites kept this law that when Christians started showing up and more, more of the Israelites became Christians, the, the, the Christians weren't as on board or as harsh about pushing, obe- obeying all the laws. And it just made Paul and the Pharisees so angry and it upset them so much because in their view, following the rules was what it was all about. And Paul got so angry that he joined with this movement of Pharisees to eradicate Christians. And he was going around arresting them and making sure that they might even be imprisoned or killed until Paul had an encounter with Jesus and it changed his life. And he didn't have an encounter with Jesus like the rest of the apostles where they walked with him while he was alive. No, Jesus had already died, risen, and ascended into heaven. And then he showed up to Paul in this crazy, big, miraculous way to get Paul's attention. And Paul ended up being the guy who wrote a majority of the New Testament. And in one instance, he wrote a letter to a Roman colony in the a Roman colony named Philippi. And so he wrote this letter that we call Philippians. Um, and in, in this letter, Paul is addressing a concern. You see, these other people had come to Philippi saying that if you want to be a Christian, you first have to be Jewish. You have to convert to Judaism before you can convert to Christianity. You have to start following all the rules, and then you can maybe qualify to be a Christian. And so they were trying to come in and take Christianity and tack on all the rules and make it about the rules. And, and one of the main things they were really advocating for was circumcision, which if you don't know what that is, I don't Google it. Ask somebody. You don't want to Google that. Trust me. And so in Philippians chapter 3, um, we'll start in the second, uh, second verse. Again, on loamicc.com slash live, if you can watch it, um, the verse is already preloaded down below. Um, But here's what Paul writes to the Christians. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, meaning those who uh, needlessly are 
calling people to be circumcised. He says, we are the circumcision. He's speaking metaphorically. We who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, what I look like or what I can do and accomplish. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. So he starts by saying, be careful of those people who are making this all about the rules. You can't put confidence in your flesh or your ability to accomplish things, how you look or or any of that, how you can do things. It's not enough. Paul says, I know, I've lived that life. I walked the the, the road of rules. I've done it, and it's not enough. He goes on to say, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, meaning I don't care how good you are at following the rules, I was better. And then he goes on to list a bunch of reasons um, that the Pharisees were, thought were a big deal, reasons why he's a really good rule follower, a perfect rule follower. He says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, that was Jewish law, of the people of Israel, meaning natural-born Israelite. He's got the bloodline to prove it. He's like, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, top of the heap. As to the law, a Pharisee, meaning I was zealous. I believed in the law. I, wa- I, I fought for the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, meaning anyone who tried to distract people from following the law, I took him out. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's saying, as, as far as anyone could be considered innocent or perfectly having followed the rules, I was that guy. And so he lists all these things. And he says, but with Jesus I learned that no amount of rule keeping was good enough. No amount of law following would get me on God's good side. And, and Paul learned something that all of us need to learn. And it's something that all of us kind of instinctively know. And it's the reason why we ask the, this question in the first place, how do I get on God's good side? And the, the reason we ask that is that we know that we have sin in our lives. That there's something wrong with us on a deep soul level. We know that we've done bad things. We know that we think bad things. We know that there's times when we should be selfless and we want to be selfish. We know that this, there is something that is dark about us about our humanity, something broken about humanity. And we're looking for a solution. And Paul says the solution is not just trying to follow the rules. And he goes on and he says, but whatever gain I had from following all those rules, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And Paul does something kind of weird here. He starts talking in terms of financial investing, meaning that he saw all those times he followed the rules as a little investment in his future eternal future, meaning every time I followed a rule, that was just me just banking a little bit more reward, a little bit more satisfaction from God. Every time I did something good, every time I followed a rule, it was just one more way I was doing something that would make God pleased with me. One more thing to secure my eternity was going to be really, really good. He says, all those things that I looked for as gain, as wise, sound, solid investments, he's like, I realized that they were actually a loss. They were a bad investment because For all the rule following I did, I missed God. For all the rule following I did, I I shaped up my behavior, but I I missed letting God have my heart at times. I mean, this is why when Jesus got Paul's attention, he did it in some grand, dramatic way. Go read Acts chapter 9 if you want to read Paul's conversion story. But Jesus shows up and blinds him with light. And because that was the only way to get Paul's attention. Paul had been talking with Christians, arresting Christians, interrogating Christians, and never once did he even consider that they might be right. He just thought the rules are what's right. 
And so that's why God showed up, in a, or Jesus showed up in such a big way. It was the only way to make sure Paul saw and, and, and to get Paul's attention. So Paul realized it's not about rules. And, he learned, and so he goes on, finishes this. Philippians 3, verse 8. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. He says, my past, because his whole life was built around being a Jewish priest, a Pharisee. His whole life, every second of every day was about following the rules and being around people who followed the rules. And he gave it all away. He threw it all away. He says, this life that once made me so proud and made me feel so safe and secure in God, he says, I count it as rubbish. And that, ru- that word rubbish there is a Greek word, skubala, which literally means poop. Um, it's actually a, almost a, a curse word, a vulgar way of saying poop. And so he says, this life that I used to live and be so proud of, it's, it was nothing worth keeping. It was worth flushing away. He says, I gave it all up. I counted it loss in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. And so Paul saw what we all see, that we're broken, that we're a mess, and that no amount of rule keeping is going to fix it. Perfect church attendance won't please God. Serving people doesn't please God. Giving a tithe of 10% to your church, that's not going to get you on God's good side. Uh, Sharing that Facebook post that says, if you don't share this, Facebook post, it means you're too scared, you're ashamed to be a Christian. Um, Sharing that post won't please God and clean you up and make you good enough for him. Memorizing Bible verses won't do it. Um, Nothing that we do is going to be enough to put us on God's good side, to eradicate all the sin we've committed and the bad that we've done. You can't undo those kinds of things. And, And Paul says, but I gained a righteousness. I realized that righteousness was gained not through, oh, I'm getting a Phone call from New Berlin. That's exciting. Um, apparently a school notification going on. Many of you are getting them too right now. Um, but, it says, but Paul said, I learned that righteousness came not through my own doing, not through my ability to follow the law to keep the rules, but it comes only through Christ. Because here's the thing. God knows you're a mess, and he knows I'm a mess, and he knows that we're never going to be able to be good enough. That's why Jesus came into our world. That's why God stepped out of heaven into our world, God in a human body. And that's why Jesus suffered and died to pay the price for our sinful crimes. He died as a prisoner so that we could be free from the chains of our human nature, free from the handcuffs of the the mistakes of our past and the crimes that we once committed and probably the ones that we're still going to commit. Jesus died to wipe our slate clean. And so, Righteousness is not in anything that you do. It is not, you don't undo or clean up your record because uh, you followed all the good rules and you got perfect church attendance or anything like that. No, if you and I are righteous, it's because Christ has made us righteous. And the only hope for us is Jesus. He is our only hope. It is Jesus, it is Jesus death on the cross that makes us clean. Not following the rules, not trying to do more good than bad. It's not memorizing some long list of theological codes and rules and laws. Salvation is found only through faith in Jesus. And, and faith can be kind of a weird term that we toss around a lot at church, and, and it kind of sometimes just means the belief system that we have. But, but when it says put your faith in Jesus, that means trust. 
that when it comes to looking at the afterlife and what, you're, and what secures you, what makes you right with God, it means trusting, putting the trust of your eternity into his hands, trusting that his death on the cross was enough to make you right with God, to purify your heart and wash you clean so that you could have a relationship with your creator. Faith in, in Christ simply means trust in his work for you on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so it's not about the rules. It's not about religion. And, you know, when you look at the, the list of religions the world has created, Christianity is, is the one that's different because every other system of religion is about you making yourself righteous, you earning your way to heaven, you earning your way um, to whatever salvation is under that religion. But Christianity is not about us earning righteousness. It's about righteousness being gifted to us through Christ. It's about God realizing that we were broken and we had no ability to heal ourselves. But rather than condemning us for it, he decided to take the punishment for the crime that we've committed so that we could be free. And so Jesus is the hero of the story. And so um, there's no religion in heaven. There's not. There's no religion. Oh, it's gone. Did I lose it? What'd we lose? Uh-oh. We lost it. Oh. oh no, hold on. It says it's still streaming to Facebook. Are we back? My phone says we're here. <laughs> Not that I can trust my phone. Nope, it's still weird. Let me reload the page, see if it's back. Sorry, everyone. It was so close. Nope, still. We're still spinning. Am I back? Maybe I'm back. <laughs> so close. We almost got through it all. But anyway, that was, that was the point. You get the point. Faith is found in Jesus. And so um, let me just say this. If you are um, listening to this and you might think, oh, I thought it was about the rules and I've, I've, only, I've just been trying to keep the rules and, and maybe it's more about giving my life, giving my life into the hands of Jesus than I realized and actually trusting him to do it not really and, and realizing that, that i'm not going to earn god's favor by trying to f- follow the rules but that i've got to actually trust him to be good enough for me um if you've realized that and, and that's the first time there's a there's a button right below this video that just says i'd like to put my faith in jesus uh click that fill out that little form and, and i'll begin in contact with you and we can talk about that um and so you can just click that button and 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 i'll i'll follow up with you um, later today or later this week as, as time is available, as I'm trying to figure all this can't-meet church stuff out. Um, because, again, this is, if we miss this, we've missed everything. Like Paul, he, you, we're going we're gonna to live our whole lives thinking that we're on God's good side and we've missed it. 